Doulas, welcome back to the podcast. I'm super excited as always, but especially because today we're going to dive into midwifery history. So this is something I've been dying to talk about. It's a bit of um, a little bit off the beaten path. I know we normally talk about like business a lot. We talk about birth work just a little bit, but I really have been wanting to talk about the history of midwifery, some of the pioneers of midwifery. And so today I have nurse midwife Lucinda Canty. We actually bumped into each other. She doesn't know me though. Um, I was in the guest audience of a virtual conference for the very first like like Black Midwives Day, which was absolutely awesome. They had incredible speakers. The event was fantastic. And nurse midwife Lucinda, her presentation just really got to me talking about the Tuskegee midwives that came out um, in the very first class. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself and then we'll talk all about the history of the Tuskegee midwives, which I'm super excited to dive in. Okay, thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Lucinda Canty. I'm a nurse midwife. I um, have been in midwifery going on like 28 years. So I've been around for a little bit. And I currently, I teach at U- University of Massachusetts Amherst. Um, and I also um, do a lot of work as far as, in, you know, um, trying to increase diversity in midwives and nursing, and also um, really support Black maternal health. I'm really out in the community trying to eliminate health disparities. So, but history has always been an important part of kind of my finding myself because I felt like in my education, it's almost like people are raised who I am and who my history. Mm -hmm. And so when I was in my midwifery program, I want to know where are the black nurse midwives? I heard a little bit about traditional midwives and a lot of it was negative. So I felt like I had to learn because it wasn't making sense. So I had to learn like, you know, where are we? Who are we? And that led me on the path of finding out about the Tuskegee School of Nurse Midwives. Let me ask you, how hard was it to begin to dig up like factual evidence-based historical information about the nurse midwives? Because it seemed like it's not something that people are just talking about. So I can imagine that must have been tough to start to uncover that information. Yes, because in our nursing textbooks, our midwifery textbooks, Mm -hmm. there would just be one line and it would say Tuskegee School of Nursing Midwifery for Black nurses in 1941. And they even had the number wrong of graduates. They said there would be 25 graduates and that was it. So it was challenging because the school was not really part of Tuskegee Institute or now Tuskegee University. And um, so when it closed, the records closed because they were the hospital that they were affiliated with did not want to take ownership of them. Wow. So they closed. They, they were in existence from 1941 to 1946. And when they closed, a lot of the information disappeared with it. Wow. So it required me to go to Alabama, to go to Tuskegee, to look, all, you know, really all over to look for graduates. And I found records here and there. I was able to interview two of the graduates. So Constance Darrell, who was in New York City, and um, um, sorry, Nettie B. Jones, who was in Tuskegee, Alabama. Mm. So they agreed to inter- you know, to have an interview with me, but that was where I got a majority of my information was from talking with them. But then I uncovered like someone um, who was, uh, um, she was a psychiatric nurse practitioner, oh, wow. but uh, Helen, Helen Sullivan Miller, she is, but she went to Tuskegee and worked in midwifery a short time and then changed over to psych mental health. 
So it was like I found out things like that through the research. I love it. Okay, so for people who have never heard of the Tuskegee School of Midwifery, like tell everybody a little bit about it. Start from wherever you want to start. We would love to know the story. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So I'll start because I always like to set the context of the times because people, when they hear this history too, they think it was 200 years ago, but this actually was in the 1940s and the uh, maternal mortality rates were high. The disparity still existed. And I just want people to know that the, the disparity is worse now than it was in the 1940s. So just imagine it's after world war II that their segregation is like in the books. So you couldn't go to certain hospitals. You couldn't walk in certain neighborhoods. You couldn't even use certain water fountains or bathrooms. Mm-hmm. All of that was real. Yeah. And when I dove into this, that was really hard for me to see because you hear about it. But when you hear about people who actually live it, so just keep all those things in mind that you couldn't go to a college. They could straight out say, we don't want black students. And people focus on the South, but that happened in the North. It happened in the West. So we can't act like it's just a Southern problem. Mm-hmm. In the South, they have actual laws. In the North, they could just do it because, you know, they were right. You know, white supremacy ruled. Yeah. So I just want you to keep keep that in mind because when people even blame traditional midwives for the poor health disparities, you know, that Black women were dying from preventable causes like they are now. But during that time, they blamed it on traditional midwives. Mm. Said they were ignorant. They didn't wash their hands. But in reality, they didn't look at that if there were certain conditions that they needed medication for, they didn't have access to. Yeah. They didn't have financial you know, freedom to go and just buy certain things. They couldn't get health care even from a hospital down the street. Mm-hmm. So I just always like to mention that because this time was before the civil rights movement. So you can know how it is for Black Americans at that time. Yeah. And so they wanted to find a way to address Black maternal health but they realized that an OBs were trying to get involved. Okay. Physicians were trying to get involved, mm-hmm. but there wasn't enough of them. Mm-hmm. So they thought the solution would be one training traditional midwives, okay. you know, even though they, the midwives knew more than what they did, but that's another podcast. <laughs> but, but if we could, if they could train nurses to be midwives, they felt like they were elevating the profession. Mm. And I, do, I always say I'm a nurse midwife. But when I look in the research, there's nothing to really show that nursing elevates midwifery. So that's still a debate that's out there. But with nursing, physicians were able to control them. They told them what they needed to learn, how to practice, what they can and cannot do, okay. which still happening today. Mm-hmm. But I just want to set that scene because that then they start to recruit Black nurses. And they felt like we could train them and keep them working here within the Black community. Okay. So Constance Darrow was a nurse midwife that I interviewed. She was in New York. They had a nursing school in New York for midwives, but they were like, oh, go to Tuskegee. Hmm. So she went to Tuskegee, where her goal was to come back to New York City. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so this was the 1940s. They started planning. They um, were looking for nurses who were public health nurses or had OB experience. And um, the program was six months. So it wasn't a long program. It was six months, but it was very intense. So being on call all the time, having classes, working in the community, working with traditional midwives. So that was all part of the um, program. So even though it was six months, again, very intense. And my uncle says that Alabama is probably the hottest places in the country. That's just his view. 
I've been there those couple of times that I kind of agree is very hot. So just so that you can have an idea of the, um, with the experience, you know, what they experienced when they were there. So this program, and I want you to know the tuition was $653. No that included everything, wow. including room and board. Wow. Anything that you needed, it was covered in that $600. No I'm sure nurses so, and midwives these days wish that that was still the case. <laughs> yeah, that's like one, yeah. one or two books. Right, now. right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, they, so anyway, they had to be a nurse. They had to be between 25 and 40 years old. They said in good health. And just also want to say that nursing was a way to eliminate Black people from midwifery. Because again, at that time, there were nursing schools that didn't accept any in the South. They didn't accept any Black students. In the North, they had quotas. So they would only take maybe one student a year. So that was another barrier. But there were nursing programs Black people create their own programs, but some of those programs were not accredited because they had to go through a body that was predominantly white. Mm. So they were determining. So I'm just show, showing you some of the barriers. So each class had maybe from four students up to eight students was the most that I've seen okay. when I looked through the paperwork. And the program closed in 1946. Okay. But I, I want to say that the program did meet its goal of decreasing the maternal mortality and infant mortality. Oh, wow. So they did what they were supposed to do. And um, they, so just, to, so just to put into context the numbers, maternal mortality in the county they serve, Macon County, was 8.5 per 1,000. And they decreased, that's maternal mortality, they decreased it to zero. Wow. The, the infant mortality rates were 49, 45.9. Per thousand, and they decreased it to fourteen. Wow! So a significant decrease for only five years being open. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So the program worked. It did work, and it served its purpose. Okay. Um, they had trouble getting um, a director for the program, so they had a, a woman who was a white nurse midwife that came from New York City, Margaret Thomas, and she was the first director of the program, but she was also paid better than people who came behind her. So when a black nurse midwife was um, in charge of the program to work those hours, because I also forgot to mention that they also covered the health department. And so they went and did the maternal infant work in the community too. So long days, responsible for following students, and they wanted to give them very little pay. So a lot of uh, midwives just kind of left the area because they needed a living wage. So that was one of the barriers. There was paperwork that tried to say they closed because of for finance. No, they closed. One said they they closed because they couldn't find quali- a qualified director. They couldn't find qualified students. Hmm. And then there was, um, and that was not true. There were people who were qualified. They just didn't want to pay them. There were students who were qualified, but they, again, they needed someone to run the program. Okay. And, and they did have, the other thing was they didn't have the finances they had the money, but the money went to the hospital. Hmm. So the money was there. And I found documentation that says that the finances were there, but they felt the money would be better spent at the hospital. So only those people who were, again, this is only from paperwork that I found. So I'm sure there's more discussion behind the scenes and I'm still always looking to find things, but it's kind of almost like those excuses they use today when they Mm -hmm. say that, 
you know, oh, we can't find qualified people. So that's why we don't have any black people here. And we all know that that's an excuse mm -hmm. for not for a couple of reasons. One, because we don't want to work in situations where we're not safe, yeah. even though we're qualified. And in others, you're not making an effort to make sure that we're in safe environments. Wow. Okay. So was Tuskegee like the only like, like black school of like nurse midwifery? Like it sounds like they were kind of doing like a pilot program that lasted a few years. Was that the only program in the South doing it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. so this was 1941, but they did have Dillard University, and that program was associated with the university. Okay. But they only they only made it one year, and they only had two graduates. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult to find the records, but it also has to do with control and power, and you know, and again, the conditions that people were learning in and working in. So, but that was very short lived, and Meharry Medical. Um, school had a um, midwifery program mm -hmm. I but I was unable to find information about it but I heard it was also a short-lived program okay but I don't know how many graduates so those were the other the only other two and when the you talk to the graduates what were they saying about like what happened during the program and then after they graduated yeah so that was that was an interesting question <laughs> because I wanted to know like so Constance Darrow and she lived in New York City. Mm -hmm. she, again, she went to Tuskegee, even though she wanted to stay in New York with her family, but they gave her a scholarship to go to Tuskegee. Oh, okay. So she attended, but she wanted to go. But again, it was those conditions that she was living in, but she also wanted in Alabama, but she also wanted to go back to New York City to be with her family. Mm -hmm. So, but they were not accepting and they were not allowing midwives to practice in the hospitals that she wanted to work in. And she found it very challenging to find a midwifery job. Okay. So she, even though she graduated, I want to say she graduated in 44. I'm sorry, I don't have the numbers um, right in front okay. of me. Yeah, I'm sorry, 46. She actually was in the last class. Okay. But she wasn't able to practice as a nurse midwife until 1972. She even had to take a refresher course because they just would not allow... And there were some things, there were issues with discriminations in these hospitals, but there was also people not un understanding what midwives can do and giving them the space to do what they can do. Okay. So those are some of the issues. But she did practice in 1972 um, for the rest of her career. Okay. And she did love midwifery. She just had a love for it, a passion for obstetrics. And she was, she was so happy that she was being trained and she just thought things would be different when she graduated. Hmm. Um, yes, the other person I interviewed was Nettie B. Jones, and she graduated in 1944, and she still lived in Tuskegee. And for her, it was a similar situation, working long hours, but not getting the pay, even though she loved it. So she ended up working at the um, Veterans Hospital because they had good positions with good benefits, and she worked there until she retired. Okay. And she worked in different different areas. Wow. Okay, so it sounds like they trained them and then basically left them to fend for themselves. So the college was not involved at all with job placement or position yeah. placement after they took all these people through training. No. Okay. Yeah, no, well, their goal was to have them to stay in Tuskegee. Okay. But because this was the only um, program for black nurses, there were other midwifery programs. This is actually one of, it's like the third program for midwives. Okay. So there were other programs that came, but those programs were not really allowing black nurses to be admitted to them. 
Wow. You know, or they would take one or here or there. So that's why they came from all over the South to come to, like Constance Dero came from New York City. But they wanted, there was this other thing too, which now, but I, I, I embrace this. You know, you come and you work in your own community. You work with Black, they wanted, they just wanted someone to work with Black women. So it made it easier for them. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I embrace that because I, because we've always been about community, yeah. but it's just also our conditions. Even now as midwives of color, yeah. And I'm speaking my own experience too. We could be in environments where we're not safe. Yes. So, and by that, I mean, we go in and we have people who don't want to work with us. We have people who hold resources from, from us. They talk about our patients. They talk about us. And you can't practice in those kind of environments. And the other piece of it is you could have a colleague making twice as much as you're making and you're working harder. Yeah. So it's like nobody wants to work in those environments. It's not safe for our mental health and our well-being. So we look for places where we feel safe. Yeah, and that's sad that that's still going on today, especially prevalent in big corporate hospitals, especially. Um, you mentioned earlier that like the nurse midwives were actually training with lay midwives in the community. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Huh. So well, they so they worked. So they whatever what they learned because. Um, with the Shepherd Towners Act, mm-hmm. they had public health departments had these training programs for traditional midwives. And I want to say something about those because it was like there were and there are midwives that if traditional midwives that did not lose any babies that had complications, but there were complications outside of their control, like, you know, preeclampsia right. or other issues. So there were things, but they were very safe practitioners. But people came in, public physicians, OBs, saying that, oh, they didn't wash their hands, they're killing Black women, even saying their superstition is putting Black women out in harm's way, when that superstition could have been just prayer, just praying. Mm. And that's there's no way prayers could put anybody in harm's way. But that was what they were putting out there. So they had these programs, and most programs had like white nurses coming in and observing and I think they were observing so that they could learn, but that's another podcast. <laughs> but they were observing, like they knew more than what these midwives knew. I'm telling you, these midwives were delivering breech babies, twins. There was a, a midwife featured in I Dream a World who delivered triplets. Wow. And so they were really good practitioners. But when the, the black nurses came in, there was a different relationship because we know our communities. We know what's happening. We know what's really happening in our communities. Yeah. And, and these and midwives... And black nurses also, they took resources and brought them to the communities so that traditional midwives could also have what they needed to continue to provide care. So it was a nice partnership. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like they came in like they were, you know, they were God and they were coming to save the world. They came in to work with people who look like them. So these were very strong relationships that we don't talk about a lot. But we do need to explore those more. Yeah, 100%. Did you find out anything that was surprising? I'm sure there was a lot that came up that surprised you, but some of the things that were surprising as you were doing your research. Yes. Well, one is that they talked about some of the conditions they went to deliver. And they they would say how there were homes they would go into with no electricity, no running water, mm. that there were houses on streets that didn't have paved roads. But because of that community, they worked together. Like there were men in the community that would drive women to get to where they needed to go, that they would help them, that if they knew a woman was giving birth. And even though I've seen this growing up, but when you were in nursing programs and midwifery, you don't hear about the strengths of black communities. Mm. 
So when I heard about how everybody pulled together, and and I think it was surprising because you hear all the negative things, and then now you're hearing these positive things. Yeah. And that's one thing that Nettie B. Jones told me about. Wow. She said there was community, and she was like, you know, people would watch the kids, you know, people would cook for them, you know, they would all help out. It was a community event, and that helped keep people safe within their communities. Wow. And yeah, and you always hear about how you know, the hospital was supposed to be safer. Mm -hmm. Even in my mind as a midwifery student, we were told, oh, when they, you know, from home birth to the hospital, it was safe. But when I started looking at the numbers, I was like, it was safer for us to stay home with no electricity or running water. Because it was like, for us, things went downhill and they're still continuing to impact us. We're not safe in hospitals if we don't have the right people there to protect us. Yeah. Talk a little bit about how midwives found out that their clients were in labor in the 40s, because I'm thinking like now you get a phone call, you get a text message, right? Like on your pillow. (laughs) And in the 40s, I'm assuming that somebody would have to run to your house and tell you that the client was in labor or. Okay. Because during that time, but also remember I had that community. So people knew who was pregnant and they knew when it was coming up close to time. And then when somebody's water broke, somebody went out and got help or somebody knew they were like, get the midwife. Oh, wow. I could not imagine <laughs> running through the hot streets of Alabama trying to find somebody's <laughs> midwife and tell them that they're in labor. Wow. Okay. Yes. yes. But that's, that's why the nurse midwives couldn't really work without the traditional midwives because they're right in the community as well. Right. So they knew who was there and they knew if they needed help. Oh, wow. That is so cool. Okay. I wanted to ask you one more question. And that's like, as far as like the other graduates, like, do you know, like how many graduates there were like total during that five years? And like, are the other like midwives like still like with us? Are they still practicing? Are they more retired? Like just sort of like where everybody ended up? Yes. Yes. So I thought, so they thought there were 25 graduates. I went to the archives in Alabama and I found out there were 31 graduates. Oh, wow. Okay. And yes, yes. And then I started trying to find their names and that was a challenging part. There were eight of them that I still couldn't find their names for, and I'm still searching. But for the ones that I found, I only found three that were living at the time. And one of them was very ill. So that's why I didn't, I wasn't able to interview her. I know that Constance Dero passed and um, Nettie B. Jones, I haven't been able to find records on her. I found a few Nettie B. Jones when I looked online, but when I saw her picture, it wasn't her or their birthday, it was different. So I'm still, so I don't know whether she passed or she's still with us. So I'm still trying to find that out as well. Okay. Okay. But I know the number and address that I had for her, she's no longer there. Okay. Got it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 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 So you're still actively like researching and getting information on Tuskegee. How long have you been researching? Oh my God. This has been uh, almost 20, it's been 20 years, no almost 20 years. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. It, yeah. And I'm dating myself, but when I started doing this, we didn't have internet. Like I couldn't Google. <laughs> I had to go to the library, look through library cards. Right, right. That's why I went to Alabama. Cause I had to look through the records. Oh, okay. That makes so, sense. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying now with more resources because they're start because of COVID, they started putting um their archives online when they didn't do that before. You had to come in person and look through. Oh, 
So that process is still evolving also. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's absolutely incredible. Okay. Any last things you want to share that I didn't ask you? Like, I, it's just like, I just can't even believe the story. Like, it's just so crazy. I hope they do a documentary on it and like include you and other people. That would be so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. That's my dream. I would just say, if you're going into midwifery, if you're going into nursing, just learn the history of where you're at. Even ask your family, because when um, I found out recently that I had a, my, a great aunt who was a midwife, oh, wow. she, yeah, she didn't do births. She provided more women's health care, wow. but I didn't, I just learned about that. So I just tell people, just learn your history, wherever you're going to school. If you're working with midwives, if you see any, find out about midwives, older midwives, find out their history. Cause I think it's a whole world that we don't talk about. And for me, that's the source of strength for me. Because this is a very stressful environment, birthing. It shouldn't be that way, but for us it is. But finding out my history helped me see that I have a right to be here. Mm-hmm. So I just challenge people to do that. And it's not that difficult. And history to me is exciting. So just start with who's in your family. And if and I would even ask a grandmother, if you can, a grandfather, do you know any midwives? Are there any midwives in the family? And see where that brings you. Yeah, I love that idea. Okay. Uh, Nurse Midwife Lucinda, tell everybody where they can find you online. If anybody is listening to it, maybe they are like in Alabama because we do have people listening like all over the world um, and may be connected to like Nurse Midwives or maybe somebody in their family may know more about like the Tuskegee School of Nurse Midwifery. Like how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, so I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn, um, Facebook. And also Instagram, I'm Lucinda uh, Midwife on Instagram, and just my full name, Lucinda Canty, on Twitter and LinkedIn. And I also teach at UMass Amherst, so easy to find on our website. What subject do you teach at UMass? Uh, Well, right now I'm working with um, graduate students, but I work with undergrad all the way up to doctorate students. Oh, wow. Just clinical care, research. And just nursing, you know, nursing care. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for your time and for all of the work that you're doing. Like, I'm going like, to have my fingers and toes crossed that this ends up in a documentary on Netflix one day. That would be so, so cool. But even so, thank you for sharing it with us and encouraging everybody to start to open up conversations with their family and to do their ancestry, like, work and, like, research and find out if there are doulas and midwives in your family and to get to the bottom of, like, where where we're coming from through like history because yeah you can learn so much that can be so empowering and give you that confidence that like you are right where you're supposed to be like we all are so thank you thank you thank you and thank you for having me of course of course and do we will see you guys in the next episode bye for now